Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Get a quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. I read the Internet so much, I feel like I'm like on page a million of the worst book ever. Aziz Ansari is a comedian, an actor, and now an author. Today, he answers our frequently asked questions. For instance, hey, what do you collect, if anything, and why? At a certain point, I start buying some older cameras. You think you get cooler pictures, and it's kind of fun to drop off the roll of film, and then you see the photos. You are such an old man. And if you come up to Ansari on the street, he'd rather not take a picture with you. So you can either do that or you can have this like real moment with a person where you say, hey, how are you? Like, what's your name? Like, thanks for watching my stuff. That feels like a real thing to me. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. What else is he happy to do? How does he spend a typical day? And what the hell is he going to call his new TV show? He needs your help with that one. From WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. Aziz Ansari is best known for his role on Parks and Recreation, the sitcom starring Amy Poehler that ran on NBC for seven seasons. It was never a huge hit, but it was beloved, in part because it was smart, but also, at least this is what I think, and this is why I liked it so much, because the show was, at its core, sweet. Ansari played Tom Haverford, probably the most selfish and hustly character on the show, and yet he, too, was pretty sweet deep down. And after listening to this interview, I'll be surprised if you don't think the same thing about Ansari himself. He grew up in Bennettsville, South Carolina, to parents who immigrated from India. His dad worked as a gastroenterologist, and his mom worked in his dad's office. Aziz says his parents have been happily married for 35 years. After high school, Aziz came to New York, studied marketing at NYU, but he got into stand-up comedy and... Now, he stayed in it. He's been a comedian and an actor for 15 years now. And he just published his first book, a nonfiction book, with an NYU sociologist, Eric Kleinenberg, as a co-author. It's called Modern Romance, and it debuted at number two on the Times bestseller list. It's about how people meet and mate in the modern world and how that is different from the past. 
So I'm curious why you wanted to write a book, especially, you know, a real book with real research and real paragraphs and real ideas. Um, and, and it's good. And I mean, I guess I'm thinking if I could do what you do, I don't know if I'd want to waste my time writing books. Well, I would say my thought process was this. Um, I'd been offered book deals in the past, and usually for comedian, a, a book deal is kind of a cash grab. You basically just write down a version of your act as a book, and I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to do another kind of book where it'd be like new essays because I felt like I would rather just do stand-up with those ideas. But I had this uh, material that was about kind of dating and romance, and I'd met a few academics one person in particular, Sherry Turkle, I met. She does a lot of stuff about uh, just communication and technology. So she came to a show in L.A. And then the next day, we spent a lot of time together talking about uh, the show and, and how her research kind of related to some of the things I was talking about, just how texting had changed so many things about courtship. And that kind of dialogue, I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That my kind of viewpoint from from my perspective as a comedian meeting the viewpoint of these academics and sociologists that's to me seemed like oh if i could write a book that captured that tone it would be very interesting and i i was genuinely curious about a lot of this stuff i felt like i knew a fair amount about this topic we've written about it some but um, I feel like by going really deep into a relatively narrow topic, you came up with stuff that was just, even if you know a little bit of the literature, it was really interesting. This, this stuff about how so many people, you know, 50 or 100 years ago basically used to marry our neighbors. There's that one graph you have that shows like proximity of, um, you know, mate. Yeah, are you referring to the propinquity studies? <laughs> I believe I am preferring to the propinquity. Isn't propinquity density? This is proximity study. Well, that was a real kind of uh, um, shocker to me. Just just the idea that, like, oh, this the basic concept of, like, trying to find someone has changed. You know, uh, that, that study uh, is from, from the 30s in Philadelphia, and it, it was like, yeah, one out of 12 people married someone in the same building. Uh, 80-something percent, it was the same city. Um, one out of three, it was, like, within a five-block radius. Um and it was really startling. And, and you just think about it now. It's like no one marries someone from the same city. You like meet people throughout your whole life like that are from different parts of the world and you go to college. And, and that change was something that was, it was actually a bigger change than the technology or anything. Just, just this just overall change in uh, what, what used to be called a, uh, the companionate marriage to the soulmate marriage. You know, the companionate marriage is pretty close to an arranged marriage. And whenever I tell people my parents had arranged marriage, they're like, wow, that sounds crazy. It's like, well, if you look at the, the history in the United States, even like back in the day, like it, it, you know, someone was like, well, this, you know, this guy that lives near me, he's nice and seems like he could provide for me. And, uh, you know, a lot of the women we spoke to in retirement homes, the, the way they spoke about their lives, they're like, well, what was I going to do? You know, I, I was living with my parents. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't have my own career. I could just get married to this dude, and then I could just go on my life and finally become an adult. To me, the craziest statistic in the book, the craziest one that blows my mind the most, is in 1967, there was a study they did where they found 76% of women said they would marry someone that they are not romantically in love with. And you know, now, like, just, just the idea that, like, now we have all these options with what to do with our lives, and 
our goal of of who we want to find is not like, oh, a decent person to settle down with and start a family with. It's no, we're trying to find the love of our lives. We're trying to find this amazing, elusive thing. That just wasn't a thing people had the luxury to look for. Yeah. So I have to say that in the end, um, you personally sound like a bit more of a traditionalist than a lot of 32-year-olds. Um, and so I guess I want to know, do you think you are? And if so, or I guess it, even if not, do you think that was influenced by your own family, especially since you said your parents were the result of an arranged marriage? I am in an interesting generation because I'm 32. So I have one foot in the world of this post-internet world. But I still remember a time where I didn't have a computer and when I made phone calls. And when I was young and had a crush on a girl, I would have to use a phone. So I still kind of remember some of these things. I still remember a world before text messages and all these things. I do think there is a chunk of, of my generation that does romanticize the past, and I'm part of that, I think. You know, I, I, when I go to a bar and I see people all on, their, all on their phones and I'm on my phone, I get bummed out. And I'm like, ah, oh, we wouldn't be doing this. But then it's also like, yeah, but would I even have met up with all these people if I couldn't text them to tell them where to meet up? You know, part of the impetus to write this book was just this frustration of, like, so many relationships kind of playing out on my phone without even get to without even getting to spend time with people in real life and actually have an experience it was really frustrating um and that kind of makes you kind of uh long for a simpler time before all this stuff yeah okay so let me uh let me ask you some of our frequently asked questions that's okay sure so tell us in 60 seconds or less what you do what you actually do in a given day and i'm guessing that your given day is a lot less given than most people's given days well, I'd say, you know, with the job I have, you're, you don't really have an average day because it depends on what you're doing. So right now I'm, uh, I'm, um, I'm editing this television series that I shot for Netflix. So my day now is I'll wake up at, you know, 8.30 or so and uh, shower, and then I come to our offices and I sit in an edit bay and review uh, our cuts of, of episodes of our show. Um, and then, uh, I'll go and when that's done at like six or so, I'll go maybe grab a drink or get some delicious food with my girlfriend, maybe stop at a comedy club, work on some material and then, and then go to bed. Does the show have a name yet? No, it's so hard to, to come up with a name for a show. I don't, I don't have a title for it yet. Do you want to crowdsource it here now? Well, I don't think they know anything about what it's about, so it's kind of hard to, uh, you, and it's you, hard to kind of surmise it. Do you want to give it, us so. a 45 second description and we'll, um... We'll come up with a name for you. My kind of silly description of the show is uh, Aziz Ansari plays Dev, uh, a gentleman that loves delicious food and gets into humorous slash thought-provoking situations. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we'll put the listeners to work on it. Um, all right. Let me ask you this. We ask everybody this, so we're not just singling out you because you're in show business, but um, mm -hmm. let's talk about your net worth, which you don't need to name, but you're certainly welcome to, compared to that of your parents when you were, say, 16 years old. So if your parents' net worth was 1X when you were 16, uh -huh. yours today is what X? <sighs> I don't know. I have no idea how much money they, they had. Um, I don't know. I probably have more. <laughs> well, I mean, they're in Bennettsville, South Carolina. So even if you have a lot of money, like, what are you, what are you really going to do? Or are you just uh -huh. going to buy a lot of biscuits? Like, <laughs> there was so much cream style corn. It was just, it was, 
flowing <laughs> everywhere. We had a moat made of gravy. It was so much <laughs> stuff. <laughs> what is one thing you've spent way too much money on but do not regret? Probably just personal comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I work so hard, and I, I work a lot. I don't take a lot of downtime, but when I do, and when I am in a, in a situation where I can kind of be a little more comfortable, I'll spend the money. And I used to be, you know, let's I'll give this example. Like, when I was first touring, like, you know, if there was, like, a connection, or, you know, uh, like, it would be like, do you want to upgrade to first class? I'd be like, no. But then at a certain point, when you start touring a lot, you're you're traveling a lot. And it's like, well... If I do one extra show, I can just never do a connection. I can always do first class. And then that way I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I'll definitely do that. And that's kind of what I did, like, my second tour. That makes sense. Um, and then you just kind of uh, justify it that way. Coming up after the break, why Aziz Ansari is selective about the work he takes on. Like if I did some, like, douchey show that I didn't like, I would probably have some douchey fans that I don't like. But since I've done stuff that I'm proud of and respect, the people that come up to me are cool and respect me, and uh, I respect them, and they're usually cool people. And may I invite you to visit Freakonomics.com when you have a chance. You can find our entire podcast archive there, more than 200 free episodes. You can also find transcripts for each episode, and those transcripts also tell you about the music you hear in each episode. You can also click on the donate button on our website to help our producing partner, WNYC, keep making this and other free shows. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or elsewhere so that the next episode will hunt you down instead of vice versa. And while you're on iTunes, you can leave a nice review for Freakonomics Radio, or a bad one if you're that kind of person. And you can find Freakonomics on Twitter and Facebook as well. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Redfin. Whether you need to buy or sell a home or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin has got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even the same day with a local Redfin agent. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents get you the best price possible for your home. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical and projected value 
when it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. From WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. I've just asked Aziz Ansari one of our frequently asked questions. It goes like this. What's something that you own that you should probably throw out but never will? Considering that his new book, Modern Romance, is about finding love in the digital age, his answer might surprise you. I've been trying to throw out my email address in, in, a, in a way. Are you like Hotmail or something? No, I had like an email address, like a, a work email address, and I would just get so many emails. And then when I started filming my TV show, I just set up a thing that said like, this email's dead. I'm not checking email. If the world's going to end, you can call me. Or, and I had like an assistant on my show. And I was like, you can call her and like, she'll tell me what's up and we'll figure it out. And you know what you realize is all that shit people email you about all the time, all day. None of it is important. None of it is pressing. <laughs> and if you just focus on the work you're doing, instead of focusing on it for like two minutes and then getting distracted to answer some question that isn't pressing at all, you do a worse job. So I found that I'm much more focused when I don't have those little questions. And then at the end of the day, I just have someone fill me in on everything or I call someone on the phone and or I call someone in the morning and then I can focus on what I'm doing throughout the day. And it's a much, my head is much clearer when I do that. So I'd, I'd love to just throw out if I could throw out the internet as well, I'd be great. I never read anything. I've never read like all these novels that are like these these beautiful stories that have um, continued to have a resonance with people for so many generations, like beautiful works of art that I could read at any point. But instead, I choose not to read them, and I just read the internet constantly and hear about who said a racial slur or look at a photo of what ludicrous did last weekend you know just useless stuff and it's like (laughs) i read the internet so much i feel like i'm like on page a million of the worst book ever and i just (laughs) won't stop reading it for some reason it's so addictive so it's interesting because you sound like a pretty i mean you're a pretty disciplined person overall it sounds like you do a lot of work and you get your work done obviously it sounds like you like your work so it makes it a little easier to do that but still i mean well let me ask you this do you think that you really wish you didn't read the internet all the time and would read books instead or do you think that you know what you just like it and you kind of feel guilty about it and so you say that because it sounds like the thing that you want to be true maybe well, I, I, I've thought about this stuff a lot. Here, here's what I'll say. I'll say, like, the times where I haven't read that stuff, the stuff that I normally read on the Internet, just nonsense, blogs, or whatever, the next day, I felt like I've missed nothing, you know? Um, I deleted, like, Twitter and Instagram off my phone. I mean, I use them to, like, post stuff, but I don't, um, I don't have them on my phone. Like, I don't have, like, a feed. I don't follow anyone. And I used to read that stuff a lot. And... Now I don't read it, I don't see those pictures, and I don't miss it. And I feel like a lot of people do a lot of this stuff, and if they cut it out, I don't think they'd miss it that much. I really don't. I mean, when I don't check in on those blogs and stuff, if I miss it, I don't go back and, like, like if you don't read your blog for a week, right, do you go back and, like, not your blog in particular, I'm saying, like, a blog that you check, right? If you don't read it for a week, right, and you come back, you don't go back and read Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because you're not 
reading it for the information. Where you're reading it for, and this is, this is just my personal theories about this stuff. What you're reading it for is a hit of this drug called the internet, the phone world. You just want a hit of it. Like when you, when you scroll down and you see a new blog post, you're like, ooh, that like gets your brain excited. It's like, oh, there's something new. And you click it and you read it and you're like, ooh, but it's garbage. It's nothing. It's like, oh, okay, like, all right, some, somebody dropped an N-bomb. Great. All right. I mean, that is kind of a cool story, but, <laughs> but you're just searching for this new thing. Like when you look on your Facebook feed and you see these pictures, it's like none of that shit really matters. You just, you just want to see a new thing on there and it just gives you something to do. Like I've sat in my computer. I still do it. And I go on like Facebook or whatever. And I'm just like, what am I doing? I just, I'm going on a loop with these same four sites for no reason. I'm not genuinely interested. Like here, here's a test. Like, okay. Like take like your nightly or morning like browse of 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 the internet right uh, your facebook feed instagram feed twitter whatever okay if someone like every morning was like hey i'm gonna print this and give you a bound copy of all the stuff you read so you don't have to use the internet you just get a bound copy of it would you read that book no you'd be like this book sucks like this is, <laughs> there, there's a link to some article uh, about you know a horse and, and uh, that like found its owner somehow it's not that interesting i kind of like the story about the horse that found its owner you know, that does actually sound kind of sweet. You know what? You know, maybe you just need a, a copy of just the animal stuff compiled. <laughs> and then you can just read all those stories about animals that found their owner. And then that would be a gripping read. That would be an amazing short story collection. <laughs> it is, each chapter is broken down by animals, dogs, cats, horses, <laughs> reptiles. The reptile chapter would be incredible. It's like, oh, there's an iguana that was in Arizona that somehow <laughs> got on a flight to Minneapolis. All right, I'd read that. Well, so what? You know, some people would say, like even some economists would say, is that, well, your, you know, your revealed preferences, what you actually do is that, right? And that means that at root that you want it. You write in the book about dating, you know, this whole notion of the paradox of choice. Do you think that's what you're up against now? Do you think that's what your Internet, you know, craving is about? It's just so much stuff that potentially might be exciting that you spend a lot of time on crap that isn't at all exciting just by process of elimination? You're making the argument that like, oh, well, if I do enjoy that stuff, I, I, it's revealing that I do actually like it. If I do look at Correct. it, I do like to it. To some right? degree, right. But I would say this. Um, the problem is when I take that stuff away, right, like if I go to dinner and I don't have my phone, I don't miss those moments of looking at my phone. But if I have my phone with me, I want to look at it because it's, it's drug-like. It's, it, you want to check it and just see what's going on. And anytime there's a lull in the conversation, our attention spans are so short, you just have to look at it. But I don't like that I have to look at it. I don't like that I'm that compulsively addicted to checking my phone or the Internet. I definitely don't like that. So, it's, you know, I found the way to fight this kind of addiction is, is to kind of take the phones or whatever out of the equation. You know, and then you end up being able to kind of resist it, like, and you forget about it, and your mind's at ease. For me, hey, what do you collect, if anything, and why? What do I collect? Um, at a certain point, I started buying some older cameras. Uh, I started buying like these, like older Polaroid cameras and some film cameras. I have a few of those. I don't know a lot about cameras. I'm not like a uh, like a. Do you shoot with them, or you just like to have them? No, I shoot with them. I like taking film pictures. There's something interesting about it. I think you get cooler pictures, and it's kind of fun to drop off the roll of film, and then you see the photos, and, you know, you kind of forgot about it. It's kind of a little You are such different. an old man. Kind of. At the same time, though, it's, it's weird. Like, I just went on this—I uh, took my girlfriend on this vacation for her birthday last weekend, 
and I took all these photos with my film camera and I'm like describing these places to a friend of mine and I'm like, ah, oh, damn, if I took iPhone photos, I could show him those photos. <laughs> I mean, there is a convenience to what we have now. Hey, what's the biggest upside for you of being well-known? The biggest upside of being well-known is that random people are really nice to you all the time. People are inclined to be nice to you. And strangers come up to you and they tell you they appreciate the work that you do. And uh, especially in New York. New York's very cool because in New York, there's way less of people that want photos and just want to just take a photo with you as a celebrity just to post it on social media or whatever. There's way more people just kind of seeing you and they give you a nod or they'll give you a thumbs up. They'll see like, oh, this guy's like with his friends. Like, I'm not going to stop him and uh, ask him for a photo or whatever. I'm, I'm just going to give him a little nod or just say like, hey, love your work. And I appreciate that. I think that's really nice. You know, if people ask for a photo, I, I have like a nice way of kind of telling people like, oh, I'd rather not take a photo, but what's your name? Like, thank you so much for watching your work. And I'm genuinely like very appreciative and 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 people in new york get that and and it's it's a it's a it, it's a it's a cool thing to just you know just see people like giving you positive feedback to to what you work so hard on all the time and why do you do that what's the point of not doing the photo well i would say like what happens is like you know when i first was starting to act and stuff like i heard about some actor that like didn't take photos and i was like man that seems kind of shitty like, why not? It's not a big deal. Like, I would take every photo, cause it was, but it didn't happen that often. But at a certain point, like, if you're walking down the street in New York and you're, like, somewhat recognizable, you get stopped all the time. And you can either take all those photos, and then I used to do that, but I started becoming kind of a grumpy person. Like, I would, I would do it, and I'd be kind of grumpy about doing it. <laughs> like Alec Baldwin grumpy, or just a little bit grumpy? No, just like, oh, no, the flash isn't on, or like, you know, all right, you know, it, things never go, <laughs> it's never like this quick thing that you imagine. Right. And it just keeps, if, and like, again, I hate, like, I'm not, like, complaining about this stuff, because I know I'm so lucky in a billion ways, so I'm not complaining about this, but you don't think about, like, oh, you're with, like, your girlfriend, and every minute you get stopped. And people that stop you when you're with your friends, your girlfriend, they're kind of not rude to them, but they don't treat them like they're real people. And they're like, hey, take this of us. And so they're mean to your other friends sometimes. And your other friends get a little annoyed that like every 30 seconds you have to stop and do this whole thing. And you take one picture on the street and then some people see it and they're like, what's going on over here? And then they come over. And then eventually there's like some tourists who are like, who are you? What are you doing? And you're like, I'm just an actor guy. And these people recognize like, all right, come here. We're getting one. <laughs> like, okay. I don't even think you know who I am or what I do, but if you need it. So it becomes this whole thing. So you can either do that or you can have this like real moment with a person where you say, Hey, how are you? Like, what's your name? Like, thanks for watching my stuff. Like, and I'm happy to do that. Like, that feels like a real thing to me, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I mean, I was at a comedy club, and I saw Louis C.K. do this. And he was just like, hey, like, what's your name or whatever? And he's like, yeah, I just do that. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's great. So then you don't have to be, like, this grump and, like, take this weird photo. You can just say hi to someone, and if they're cool, they'll understand. Like, most people get that. You know, the other thing is, like, you know, there's some people I know that are are famous to the point where, like, they don't even walk down the street anymore. They're always in, like, a black car. And wherever they go, they have, they're in a black car, and they, and they get down. And they don't get to, like, be, like, normal people. And I don't want to lose that. Like, I want to be able to walk around and be a dude, you know, and just be a person. Do you worry, though, about that 
maybe it's not an inevitable paradox, but it's a potential paradox, which is the better you do your work or the more popular you get, at least. There's not necessarily a relationship between how good work is and how popular you get. But, you know, you're a performer, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you're making a, sh- a new show for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, the more exposure you get, the more likely it is you are going to lose the ability to just live a life like that in New York. Do you think about where that border is and do you fear that you might cross it? I think the way I kind of have things planned out, like I'm not going to do anything that is going to get me to that point. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do like the Twilight reboot or something. I've been very careful about what I choose to do. And I only do things that like I really like. So I do things, if you do a show like Parks or you do stand up, which is just going to be you, like you're going to attract people to your work where people you would probably enjoy meeting or speaking with like if i did some like douchey show that i didn't like i would probably have some douchey fans that i don't like but since i've done stuff that i'm proud of and respect the people that come up to me are cool and respect me and uh i respect them and they're usually cool people that i you know so i think it's about the choices you make and 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 what you do you know it's a really good point so let me ask you this. If you weren't doing what you do now, inclu- like any of it, like comedy, TV, movies, none of it, um, what do you think you would have ended up doing? Oh, I'd probably be like sad and fat somewhere <laughs> eating a lot of food. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it, you know, uh, who knows? I never had any like deep passions that I think I would have gravitated towards. Um You but, think you'd be living in New York or back in South Carolina or somewhere in between? I would probably be living in New York, and I think I have a lot of faith in the in the city of New York helping you figure out what you want to do. I mean, that's what helped me figure out I wanted to be a comedian was living in New York. It wasn't about being in NYU or anything. So I would probably live in New York. I, I, I always, when I was in South Carolina, I lived in a very small town, and I always wanted to be somewhere bigger where stuff was happening. And, I, and when I went to New York, it was just so exciting because I could go to concerts and things like that. Like, you know, bands don't come to South Carolina. Like, bands just don't come. If they do, they're like, you know, in Charlotte or something, and it's like a three-hour drive. Maybe it's on a weekend and you can go, you know. So uh, I was just excited to be in a place where things were happening, and the thing that was happening that was exciting to me was was comedy and doing comedy, and that's what I kind of fell into. But if I didn't, maybe there would have been something else that I was really into. Maybe I would have really gotten into um, that stomp thing and, and bashing uh, trash can lids. Um, Okay, and finally, just tell me something that almost nobody, but maybe close friends and family, whatever, know about you. Tell us something that people who are fans just would be really surprised to learn about you. Okay, um, so I do a thing where at night I brush my teeth by the sink, and in the morning I brush my teeth in the shower, right? And That's your thing? That's your distinctive thing? Wait, wait, I haven't finished. Oh, so, okay. here's the thing. Every day <laughs> starts with this moment of, of, uh, of this nuisance of, oh, my toothbrush and my toothpaste by the sink. They're not in the oh. shower. And I've turned on the shower, and so I walk over <laughs> and I grab the toothpaste and the toothbrush, and I come back. Can I make a suggestion for you? Because Wait, I think you're on. doing Wait, well still... enough that you could afford it. Is what if you got yeah. two of each and kept one in the shower and one at the sink? Well, here's the thing. I bought another thing of toothpaste, <laughs> but I have yet to purchase the second toothbrush. And I have been trying to remind myself to buy the second toothbrush for about three years. So that's something no one knows about. <laughs> well... 
Does that mean that your primary toothbrush is three years old, that you're brushing your teeth with a three-year-old toothbrush? No, I just keep forgetting to buy this this double of the toothbrush. The double. To have two of them, so I have two of them going simultaneously. And, you know, if, maybe if I, maybe if I, <laughs> maybe if the show goes well and I do another big tour, <laughs> I can I can kind of save up the $4 to buy that other toothbrush. I would like to think. <laughs> Let me say this to you. Aziz Ansari may... That be the gravest problem you have to fight in your life. Yeah, it's a really tough life. There's that, the whole trying to stay off the internet thing, and uh, people wanting pictures. It's I'm a real, it's a real, it's a real rough, rough life I've created for myself. No, it's all great. Yeah, thank you very much for the time. Listen, I'm really congratulations on the book. It's just fantastic that it's good and that it's popular, and um, I wish you all the best with it and with all your other stuff. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm a big fan, and uh, I'm excited I was able to come on. Okay, great. Catch you later. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Hey, podcast listeners. On next week's episode, imagine you are a filmmaker or a novelist and you're trying to figure out how to create the most suspense possible. Who would you go to for advice? Easy. An economist. We view um, the construction and the development of suspense and surprise and other aspects of entertainment as basically optimally economizing on a scarce resource which is the ability to change someone's beliefs. And, you know, it starts from the observation that that's a scarce resource uh, because, you know, from a theoretical point of view or just from an intuitive point of view, you can't fool all of the people all of the time. There's only so many times that a person can expect to be fooled. We also talked to some actual practitioners like the film producer Brian Grazer, I can tell you how we created suspense, if you want. And the novelist Harlan Coben. Chapter one. The stranger didn't shatter Adam's world all at once. Suspense, surprise, and where M. Night Shyamalan went wrong. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes Greg Rosalski, Caroline English, Susie Lechtenberg, Merrick Jacob, and Christopher Wirth. We had help this week from Rick Kwan, Andrew Dunn, Gaines Laguerre, and Kasia Mihailovich. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? 
Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life.